For the next few weeks, the podcast will focus on lessons from specific passages of Scripture. For this week's podcast, we will take a look at the Beatitudes found in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught the crowd that gathered at this time that if they were to be part of his kingdom, they would have to be different than those in the world around them. Jesus clearly laid out these differences in the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. Join Eddie Parrish as he takes an in-depth look at this section of Christ's sermon for how a Christian's attitudes should be focused. One of the fiercest battles that we face is the temptation to just be like everybody else. That's kind of the easy way of living life. Just kind of see what the crowd is doing, what most people think, how most people act, and just blend in with the crowd. And it's a, it's a pretty tough temptation at times. But one of the things that we find in the Bible is that God has always called on His people to be different from those that are not His people. And the things that make God's people different from others have to do with their conduct, with their values, with their attitudes. God has always wanted His people to be separate from the sinful world around them. Going back even into the Old Testament, God said to His people under that old law, under the law of Moses. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, He said to them, I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So from the very outset, God said, I'm separating you from the rest of the world because you are my special people that I have a special purpose for. That's why it's interesting that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people came to to Samuel, God's representative, and they said to him, Give us a king that we may be like the nations around us. Though it was embedded in their law, though it was emphasized on so many other occasions, the people said, We want to be just like everybody else. The very thing that God had called them not to be was the thing that they were clamoring for. And when their, their request was initially uh, rebuffed uh, by Samuel, and Samuel came back and said, you know, if you do this, uh, here are going to be all the negative consequences. The people just finally said in 1 Samuel 8 verse 19, we will have a king. In other words, we are going to be like the nations around us, uh, even though that was not God's ultimate will for them. And that principle is carried over in the New Testament too where we find passages like 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where Peter, quoting from the Old Testament, but making the application of the principle to New Testament Christians, he said, You are to be holy, God's words, you are to be holy as I am holy. The idea of holiness is the idea of separation, separation from that which is profane, separated from... Uh, from the profane for God and for His purposes. And so God wants us not to just be like everybody else, but to be who He wants us to be. And when we do that, we'll be separated from those that are in the world. 
And early on in the ministry of Jesus, he started to emphasize that to the people, that if they wanted to be his disciples, if they wanted to be citizens of his kingdom, it was going to require them uh, to be different from those uh, around them. And um, uh, that's why we're doing this series on the Sermon on the Mount, to emphasize that as one of the major points in the sermon. To be a citizen of His kingdom is going to call on us to be different from those around us. And the Beatitudes are a great example of that. The Beatitudes constitute the first major section in the Sermon on the Mount. In our last session, we gave some introductory remarks uh, about the theme of the sermon and, uh, and how challenging it is and, and some of the major emphases in the sermon. But now as we begin to kind of look at it in its component parts, we start with the Beatitudes. And a Beatitude, that word, is simply a word that refers to a statement that imparts a blessing. And Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. Blessed are uh, these people. Uh, blessed is the person who does this or who is that. So it's a statement that imparts a blessing. Uh, and the word blessed is sometimes uh, translated uh, by the word happy. Happy are the, per, uh, are the people who do this or that. And uh, that's, that's not a, a, a bad translation. Uh, it probably doesn't capture all that the word blessed seems to capture. Uh, but the idea is it's a statement that imparts a blessing. And Jesus gives several here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the uh, the most uh, widely known uh, part of the sermon. But in the sermon, what Jesus does, again, is going to call attention to uh, the contrast between citizens of His kingdom and those who are not. What's the difference between those who follow Him and, between, and those who are not following Him, those that are in the world? And so we're going to look at those contrasts as they relate to the common view of people in the world today. Uh, I have to give credit where it's due. A uh, dear friend of mine who's gone to his reward now, Cecil Hudson, uh, outlined these Beatitudes this way, and I'm grateful that he did because I think they really capture the contrast that Jesus is making. So what are those contrasts? Matthew chapter 5 Verse 3 is the first of the Beatitudes where Jesus contrasts total dependence versus total independence. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 as he begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the view of the world with regard to this concept. The, the attitude of the world is basically... I don't need anybody. Uh, I, I don't need anybody to help me. I don't, I don't even need God. Uh, I, I am all that I need to be just in and of myself. It's a similar attitude expressed by a church, oddly enough, in Revelation 3, verse 17, the church at Laodicea, who said with regard to themselves, uh, we are rich, and we have need of nothing. Now, the response of the Lord to that church was, not only are you wrong, He says, you need everything. You don't even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You think you've got it all, but you don't really have anything at all. 
And so that's the idea of the world. I don't need you. I, I don't need God. I don't need anything. I am completely independent. And that's the way I like it. Well, in response to that, what Jesus says is the blessed life, the life of the person who's devoting himself to the Lord and to his kingdom. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the person who says, I'm nothing without God. The person in the world says, I don't need God. The person with the right attitude says, I do need God and I'm nothing without Him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. We, we understand what, it's, what it means to be poor in, in physical things, material things. If a person is in poverty, then they don't have much by way of material possessions. To be poor in spirit is to refer to the person who not only is uh, poor spiritually, but recognizes that poverty. And they recognize the fact that they need God, that if they're ever going to be cleansed from sin and ever going to enjoy any spiritual blessing at all, it's going to be when they recognize how dependent they are on God. Jesus said in John 15, uh, specifically verse uh, number 5, He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. See how different that is from the attitude of the world? The world that says, I don't need Jesus and I don't need God. Jesus said, you can't do anything. You, you can be nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we're going to be what Jesus wants us to be, if we're going to follow in His footsteps and be a citizen of His kingdom, then we've got to start by recognizing how dependent we are on God. If we are ever going to be saved from our sins, it's going to be only because we recognize that we can't do it ourselves that we are dependent on God to save us. Yes, there are going to be things that we have to do in obedience to God, and Jesus will talk about that later in the sermon, in chapter 7 specifically. But even our obedience is not something that, that, that pays the price for our sins. We're dependent on God for that. We're dependent on Jesus and on His blood for that. We're dependent on Him for every blessing, material and physical. And so the world's view that, uh, that I'm smart enough on my own and I, I can do it all by myself and pull myself up by my own bootstraps, spiritually speaking, is, is a concept that is foreign to the person who truly understands reality. Total dependence on God is what we're to have. We can't do it all ourselves. We certainly can't save ourselves by ourselves. And so at the very outset, Jesus contrasts the idea of the world with the idea uh, of truth and reality. We are dependent on God. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their spiritual poverty and recognize that they need God. But then we have in verse number 4 another contrast where we have the contrast of deep mourning and sorrow against the concept of carefree irresponsibility. Notice uh, the words of Jesus specifically in Matthew 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
See, the world's view about things, again, is completely opposite of what Jesus talks about here. In the world's view, people just basically say, you know what, who cares? Who cares about sin? Uh, who cares about behavior? I can do whatever it is I want to do, and I don't have to answer to anybody. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for anything I ever do. Uh, I, I, I am my own boss, and I owe nobody any explanation for my actions. Who cares? It's very reminiscent of uh, the words of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, when uh, Moses appeared before him and instructed him to let God's people go from captivity. Pharaoh's response was, well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? He didn't, he didn't care about what God thought, what God said. And that's the attitude of a lot of people today when it comes to their actions, and specifically their actions that are wrong, that are sinful. The world's attitude is, hey, it's nobody's business but mine, and I don't really care what you think. Now contrast that with what Jesus said. Blessed are they that mourn. And specifically in context, Jesus, I think, is talking about one's mourning over sin. One who mourns his spiritual poverty from the previous verse. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit and blessed are they that mourn the fact that they're poor in spirit. I think those two are connected. I think all these beatitudes are connected. And so the, the, the blessing is promised not to those who have a carefree irresponsibility about sin, but those who deeply are bothered by their sins. I don't know if there are a lot of people who recognize the fact that God wants our sins to bother us. He doesn't want us to take that carefree um, attitude toward them. He wants us to mourn our sins. Because if we do that, it'll turn us to Him who can take away uh, the guilt of our sins. So the proper view about sin is to, is to allow them to bother us to the point that we do something positive about them. We need to remember that we, when we sin, we have offended our Creator who's given, me, uh, who's given us every good and perfect gift. James 1.17. In uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 13, in the parable that Jesus told, we need to have the attitude of the man who would not even lift his eyes toward heaven, but simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, that's the attitude that we need to have, and, not, it's, and it's not the attitude of the world. But then we turn next uh, to the next beatitude, and it's, uh, it's a contrast between self-discipline on the one hand and recklessness on the other. See, Jesus has pronounced a blessing on those who recognize their spiritual poverty, who realize that they're completely dependent on God. And their spiritual poverty, caused by their own sin, bothers them. And it bothers them so much that they mourn the fact that they are so impoverished spiritually. Well, then comes the next blessing, which contrasts this self-discipline, uh, meekness, versus recklessness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 3, or 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 5. Now, the world's attitude uh, about things like this is, hey, you, you do whatever you're big enough to do. Whatever you think you can get away with, you just get away with it. You see it in, in all kinds of, of um, uh, people's lives, especially people who are, are powerful, perhaps uh, 
politically uh, or in other areas, sometimes in, in, in business, but it doesn't even have to be in those two arenas. But there are people who take the attitude of might makes right and uh, whatever you can get away with, do. Well, that may be the attitude of the world, but the attitude that Jesus calls us to have is an attitude of meekness. And meekness involves the idea of self-discipline. Someone has defined meekness very well as power under control. So a meek person is not a weak person, but one who has a proper um, handle on himself, one who has his power under control, a gentle person. Jesus described himself as being meek and gentle. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 uh, through 30. One great example of, of meekness is uh, how Paul uh, described that concept in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and following when he wrote these words. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now even though the word meek or meekness is not used in that uh, set of verses. The concept is there. That's what meekness is. It's power under control. Uh, it's an individual who's not guided by passions, but guided by reason and self-control. Moses was called the meekest man in the earth. Numbers 12 verse 3 says, Moses was certainly not a weak person, but one who controlled his passions. And so meekness enables a person to be teachable, instructable, one who's reasonable. And so when an individual uh, more, you know, is, recognizes their spiritual poverty and it bothers them that they are such, um, in such poverty spiritually and it's because of their sins and their sins bother them, if that person has a meek and gentle disposition and that person is going to be receptive to God's truth. And that uh, is a part of the rest of the Beatitudes, leading with Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where again we see a contrast between an individual who has a thirst for God versus one who basically doesn't believe he has any need for God at all. Let's look at uh, the passage, Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So here we have again the concept of thirst for God, a desire for God and for things spiritual, for righteousness, versus those who simply want to do as they please. We talked a little bit about this concept uh, a moment ago with one of the other Beatitudes, but it fits here as well. The attitude of the world is, I will do as I please, I am my own God. The only thing I thirst for is uh, more of whatever it is I want. It's similar to the uh, period of the Judges, Judges chapter 17, verse 6, where the Bible says 
about that, that period of, of time in Israel's history, that there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And if you read and study the book of Judges, you'll see that it was one of the darkest uh, periods of time in all of the history of Israel because of the, the terrible sinfulness of the people. And that passage uh, mentioned again or quote, quoted again in Judges 21-25 gives the reason. Everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. There was no standard by which they, uh, they, they judged their character and by which they lived their lives. They were their own standard. The, the, these are people that hunger and thirst for anything and everything but righteousness. And that's the view of the world today, isn't it? Don't we find so many people today who say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with anything that's going to, 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 to hamper my self-expression and that's going to stand in the way of me doing whatever it is I want to do. That's the world. Jesus says you've got to be different from that. You want to be a part of my kingdom? You want to be a faithful citizen of my kingdom? Then you need to hunger and thirst, not for your own personal pleasure, but you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you do that, you will be filled. So the attitude of the, the kingdom citizen is, I will do not as I please, but I will do as God pleases. Job said, Job 23 verse 12, I have desired the words of the Lord more than my necessary food. What a great statement. What a great uh, concept and idea to aspire to, that we would develop that attitude, that we desire God's words more than any necessity of life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this attitude is expressed this way. Peter said, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. That's the attitude we need. That's the kind of thirst for God that we need. In the next beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we see the contrast between mercy and selfishness, where we read these words, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The world's view is, just look out for number one. And by number one, they mean themselves. So many people live life that way. They, they don't care what others think. They don't care what others may need. They're just interested in satisfying their own needs. And so the only time that some people see other people is when they look down to see what it is they're stepping on. But that's not the attitude of Jesus. It's not the attitude that He calls upon His followers to have. He said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are moved by the circumstances of others, moved to do something about it. Those who are citizens of the kingdom of Christ are those who know how important it is to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. There are those that are helpful to others. Galatians 6, verse 10. As you have opportunity, do good unto all men especially those of the household of faith, those that show compassion and mercy, those that weep with those who weep. Romans 12, verse 15. I like the words of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, the Old Testament prophet who expressed, uh, expressed the sentiment this way. 
He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? See, the person who is a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus and is truly living as such, allowing Jesus to guide their lives, that'll be a person who is kind and compassionate and merciful. Then we turn to verse 8 of Matthew 5 in the next beatitude where Jesus contrasts purity of heart with lustful pursuits. See, that's the attitude of the world. If it feels good, do it. If you want it, go for it. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do, uh, uh, you know, just you follow your own pursuit. As, as lustful and impure as it may be, that's what you want to do, do it. Some people think, well, as long as I keep... Uh, These things in my mind and in my heart, they don't hurt anybody. That's why a lot of people get wrapped up in the the terrible sin of pornography. They they say, though they're wrong in this, but their attitude is, well, it's it's, it's a victimless thing. Uh, I'm not hurting anybody by consuming that. It's just all something going on in my mind, and, and so it's not hurting anybody. So why can't I do that? And so lustful pursuits, impurity... Uh, that, that gets deep within a person's heart. That's what the world pursues. And other attitudes like jealousy and envy and things like that that people say, well, it's just, that's just within myself and so uh, it's not hurting anybody else, so why should I bother with that? Why should, I, why should I keep from doing that? Well, Jesus calls upon us not to just be pure in actions, though that's important, but He calls upon people to be pure in heart. And we'll see that in the sermon, especially in chapter 5, as Jesus gets into a lot of these heart issues. But the right attitude is in the person who recognizes that if they hope to see God, if they hope to be in the presence of God in eternity, then I need to pursue a pure heart. Psalm 24 verses 3 through 5 puts it this way, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, inner purity is important and we need to pursue it. How about peaceful relationships versus disposable ones? Matthew 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, the world's view is relationships are only useful if they bring advantages to me. And uh, if if they don't bring any advantage, if I cease to benefit from them, then uh, I'll just throw away that relationship. Well, Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who do what they can to maintain harmony between others. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 makes that point. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And so we need to recognize the importance of keeping peace. How about the next beatitude, the willingness to suffer, as opposed to the world's view of avoiding pain at all costs. Back to Matthew 5, beginning in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The world's view is don't be too radical. You know, do whatever you, can, whatever you have to do to save yourself. Certainly don't suffer. But Jesus makes the point that heaven is worth 
any price. Eternity's in the balance. And if we're called upon to suffer for the cause of Christ, to suffer for being righteous, then we need to be willing to do so. See, the kingdom of Christ is not of this world, John 18, 36. It doesn't operate by the same standards and values of the world. The whole world lies in wickedness, 1 John 5, 19, and we are to be separate from the world. The world is passing away, 1 John 2, verse 17. But our spirits are going to live on, and how we choose to live here is going to determine where we will live there. And so Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount by calling attention to these attitudes that a person needs to possess. And out of these attitudes will come our actions. And so our values, our priorities, our attitudes are different from those in the world because we are strangers in a foreign land. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, verse 20. And so for you today, if there is no difference in your life from those that are in the world, then heed the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord.